Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we ask ourselves, why does Interpol want to get Carmen Sandiego so badly? She hasn't really done anything that bad. Did she embarrass somebody high up in the organization? Uh, It really does feel like it's a bit of a personal vendetta. This is page 610. A couple minutes ago, and I began to worry that I'd caught Martin's cold. That was the last thing I needed right now. I caught sight of Martin approaching and was about to explain our plan when I saw his panicked expression. I can't find them, he hissed frantically. I trailed back to where they should have been, but they weren't there. So either they already turned back, which they wouldn't do, or they were too close behind us and ended up following the wrong set of tracks in this bad light. I felt a chill that had nothing to do with the constant rain. Can't you track them down? If I could, I would have, but all the prints look the same in the dark. What are we going to do? He clutched at my arm. I could tell by his eyes that he was on the verge of panic. They won't be careful. They'll think we've scouted everything ahead of them. What should we do? I reached into the pocket that held Dayton's simulacra. I can find them. Before I could do anything, there was an outcry from the eastern edge of the camp. It was followed a second later by a furious shout and a string of cursing. Is that Dayton? I asked. Martin nodded. From over the ridge came the sound of frantic movement. The three of us moved as quickly as we dared, peering over the top. Men were swarming from the low tents like hornets from a nest. There were at least a dozen of them now, and I saw four with strung bows. Long sections of planking appeared from nowhere and were leaned against the posts, making crude walls about four feet high. Within seconds, the vulnerable, wide-open camp became a veritable fortress. I counted at least 16 men, but now whole sections of the camp were cut off from view. The light was worse as well, as the makeshift walls blocked the fires and cast deep shadows against the night. Martin was swearing a steady stream, understandably, as his bow wasn't nearly as useful now. He knocked an arrow quick as winking, and might have fired it just as fast, if I hadn't laid a hand on his arm. Wait. He frowned, then nodded, knowing they would have half a dozen arrows for every one of his. Tempe was suddenly useless as well. He would be riddled with arrows long before he came close to the camp. The only bright facet was that their attention wasn't directed on. The only bright facet was that their attention wasn't directed toward us. They were focused off to the east, where we had heard the sentry's cry and Dayton's cursing. The three of us might escape before we were discovered, but that would mean leaving Dayton and Hespi behind. This was the time when a skilled arcanist should be able to tip the scales. That's the page. My name's Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And that's why, Jordana, the posts drew your attention, because they're part of a fence. Oh, I see. But why are there fence posts without a fence? So they so can move they through can... the camp. And now they have yeah, a they... series of walls. Yeah, it's it's like they can make instant fortifications if they need to. Oh, it's like an insta-fence. Yeah. Mm, and intriguing and it's clever too because if you're somebody like Foth and you're like spying on the camp it's not immediately obvious what they're for and presumably they they could the defenses could be laid out in any number of configurations so even if you saw the camp while the fence was up the next time you see it the the arrangement of them might be different so that's pretty pretty clever as a way to throw off your enemy almost as if they know they're being watched 
Yeah, almost as if they expect to be attacked or ambushed, and they certainly drill this, right? They're, they're do this in, yeah, in yeah, good order. Yeah, yeah, because they do it, they, they, as soon as they think something's wrong, the fence goes up. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying this is evidence that they're soldiers. Um, they're certainly well-organized, and uh, they have drilled this, like, they, they know what to do, and they do it well and in good order, so... Uh, this is not necessarily evidence that they're professionals, but it's certainly not evidence that they're not professionals. Yeah, for sure. This is also, uh, I feel like Rothfuss does a great job of instilling me with the same panic that, that Quoth and, uh, Martin feel because this is a kind of scene that happens often, especially in like war movies where like our heroes have made a plan and then, as soon as they put the plan into action, something goes wrong and the whole plan basically has to be thrown out, right? Like Quoth thought he was doing something clever by having Dayton and Hespi follow behind, but he didn't think about whether they'd be actually be able to do that. And now they've gotten lost. They've bumped up on a sentry and their whole plan of taking these guys by surprise has basically gone out the window. And, and it feels really bad because like, now they don't even have like the small notion of a plan that they had. Now they're just going to have to wing it. And I would be panicking in this situation too. If it was me and my four coworkers up against like five times that many trained mercenaries, I would be, uh, I would be doing exactly what Martin is doing, which is what are we going to do now, man? And we've said a lot about how Martin is a good natural leader. This is where that falls apart. This is where Martin's, leadership skills are not up to snuff is that he doesn't keep his head when things don't go according to plan he starts to panic and that's not great leadership sadly mm. oh yeah that's a good point i was thinking earlier about why martin isn't the leader but yes that that's definitely why yeah he he starts to panic he doesn't he doesn't think about uh, alternatives he asks over and over again what are we going to do what should we do and even on the next page, over and over, he repeats it. He can't keep his head in a when things don't go according to plan. Like he keeps his head when he's like, you know, he was able to like react quickly and kill the sentry. That that wasn't, you know, that was not according to plan. But like he was still able to react. But now I think Dayton is in trouble. Hespi is in trouble, and he's helpless, and he's he can't keep his cool in that situation. Yeah, the the instant with the sentry was like a moment where he basically acted on instinct because the the problem and the solution to the problem were pretty obvious and also probably like within the realm of his experience as a a gamekeeper turned mercenary. But as you say, when he's not in immediate danger and the problem at hand requires like a little bit more thought, I think that's when he doesn't really know what to do. But he also obviously knows this about himself to some degree because he told Quoth several chapters ago, like, I don't want to be the leader of this group. I know that I wouldn't be good at it. Yeah. So maybe he knows that this is one of his weaknesses. He's certainly like still functional. Quoth is able to give him orders and he's able to carry them out. So it's not like he totally goes to pieces. No, he just but can't he's think not on his feet. exactly. Exactly. And so when Quoth pulls up, pulls out the simulacrum for Dayton, and we hear Dayton, Quoth hasn't actually done anything to it. It's just a weird happenstance of Dayton made noise before Quoth could do anything. Yeah, yeah Quoth was going to douse for him, presumably. Uh, it uh, it was too late. 
I see. We have a short letter today. Mailbag! From Rachel, who writes on Hespi. A very quick note. Since you compared Hespi to Brienne of Tarth, the second best Game of Thrones character, I now can't see her any other way. Signed, Rachel. And then, P.S., here are the best Game of Thrones characters, according to Rachel. Number one, Jon Snow. Number two, Brienne. Number three, Dario Naharis. Number four, Bronn of the Blackwater. Number five, Davos. And then she signs off with, fight me. And I will gladly fight you. I think that these are probably Uh-oh. show ratings. I, I gather that these are characters based on uh, how much you like them on the show. Because I do not agree uh, with this the, by any means. I mean, I think Brienne is a great character. She probably belongs up there. But uh, And so same with Davos. But in the books, Jon Snow is really pretty annoying. Dario Naharis is, I think, like the reader is supposed to take him as a thug and understand that Daenerys is not following good judgment by... Uh, no, oh, Jeremy is wanna, about to get... I put a nickel in him. Not All a right, thug. Let's go. He's not a thug. He's a fuckboy. And you are supposed to recognize right away that he's a fuckboy. But you are supposed to understand why she finds him attractive and why she falls for him. Yes, but he's not a great character. He's a prop. I mean, I think he is a great character in that sense, but he's not, like, he's not in my top five. Yeah. Okay, fine. Same. And also, Braun in the books is not that important. So uh, I think, like, Braun in the show, I think the strength of the actor, who, by the way, would be a great Martin, I think because of his charisma, he ended up getting a bigger part than he has in the books in the books he's really I mean, not that important again i have to disagree with you there i think in the first three books Braun is a quite important character to Tyrion's story and his betrayal really stings like i think i think he's an important character for for Tyrion's development but the fact that Tyrion lannister isn't in your top five is is making me raise my eyebrows in a quizzical fashion <laughs> Well, that's why I think this rating is based on the show and not based on the book, because the show and the book treat, I think, a lot of these characters very differently. Mm. But of course, as we say, as we say on this podcast, all reads are valid, even when it's about a show that misunderstands the subject matter of the original literature very, very profoundly. And in so doing, uh, damages forever the uh, legacy of that property. Again, I must disagree with my co-host's second point here. I don't think that the legacies of those books has been damaged by the fact that the show turned out to be a big wet fart. But I do think that if you want to hear our hot takes for top five uh, characters in A Song of Ice and Fire, you're going to have to wait for a Patreon episode. I have to think about Song of Ice and Fire again. I will tie you down and make you think about it. Sounds oh. like some time off for me. <laughs> oh, no, we're going to make you read all all published material thus far. You can't make me. Not with that attitude. Listeners, nope. we'll make you read good books on tomorrow's page. Uh, <laughs> the Wish. Wish.